Welcome to Saga Thing, where we're putting the sagas of the Icelanders on trial. I'm John. And I'm Andy. Welcome to our judgment section on Vodensdala Saga. This is the first time we've ever gone three episodes. Pretty exciting stuff. It is, actually. Um, I feel like this saga justifies it. Barely, but it justifies it. Sure. Um, and you'll, you'll, this will happen to us many times more as we get into the longer sagas. I think that's very likely. We've actually, uh, we're, we're going to be covering Gretter's saga next, and we're fully expecting that to be a minimum of three episodes. Hopefully you guys like, uh, <laughs> uh, lots and lots of detail, um, some good storytelling, and a, a fair amount of rambling. Uh, but before we get ahead of ourselves, we actually haven't finished this saga yet. We still got some judgments to do. Absolutely. Uh, as always, we have seven categories by which we judge our sagas, uh, best bloodshed, uh, body count, nicknames, notable witticisms, outlaws, uh, in which we outlaw one character from the sagas forever, uh, thingmen, in which Andy and I are each allowed to pick one member of the cast, one figure from the saga to join our growing band of thingmen, and then a final rating mm-hmm. from each of us. I still stress out about the thingmen <laughs> category far more than I should. Yeah, I don't know. I, I've, I've never really regarded it as being that stressful of a category, but that's probably because I usually get the better choice. <laughs> hardly, hardly. Um, actually, we are going to be evaluating our choices, or right. should I say, we're going to let you guys evaluate our choices uh, in our next episode, which is going to be a quarter court. Mm-hmm. Basically, we're going to go through the first 10 sagas that we covered, and we're going to uh, give you some highlights and then let you guys decide uh, what are the best bloodsheds, what are the best witticisms, and uh, who got the best thingmen. That's right. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, let's dig in. What do we got first? I don't, you, don't, you don't realize that best bloodshed comes first? How long have we been doing this? Best bloodshed. Well, this saga is pretty packed with bloodshed moments, uh, so we're kind of in the same position that we were in with uh, Gizli Saga. Do you really think so? I think so. We're going to ignore episodes that might have won or at least been considered in a different saga. So, as much as we enjoyed, say, Goodman Thorstenson throwing a sword through Thor the Outlaw, or Yolt the Witch contorting herself to death in her failed witchcraft, uh, we're going to have to give them honorable mentions and get on to our nominees. You know, when I think of Liot the Witch, mm-hmm. I think of the uh, the bus driver from South Park. Do you know what she looks like? I do vaguely. She's got bird's nest in her hair and she screams really loud. It's kind of a witchy, witchy looking woman. If that helps you. There it is again. Uh, <laughs> there's your witchy woman. <laughs> there That's... she is again. I don't know. How else do you describe a woman who's a witch? From now on, we're doing, you're going to be doing an Eagles reference in every episode. <laughs> if you manage to work a Hotel California reference, I'll be impressed. Yeah, I'll, I'll work on that. Um, yeah, you know, contrary to uh, your opinion, I, I feel like there may be a lot of examples of people dying, and we'll get to that in body count. But in terms of best bloodshed, I don't think this saga offers the kind of uh, fantastic deaths and uh, woundings that we're used to. Um, sure, we have Ingolf and some other things, and I'm sure we'll get to that, but uh, not as much as I would like here. Uh, Andy, you're really not selling this category. <laughs> no, I, I'm complaining about it, to be quite honest. I, I think we've got a pretty good selection here, so why don't you uh, why don't you get us started with one of your grim, unimpressive selections, and I'll get to the good ones. No, not, not grim, but yokel. Ah, oh, right, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> That's a little saga name joke. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, my, my first example uh, of Best Bloodshed is going to be the death of Yokel the Giant. Mm. I, I'll just read a little bit of it to you. It's not particularly bloody, but it is uh, it is a fun moment in the saga. Um, Thorstein has entered and he's stirred the fire and he sees Yokel the Giant lying there. Yokel was sleeping face upwards in a gold embroidered silk shirt. Thorstein then drew the short sword and thrust it at the mighty man's chest and dealt him a deep wound. The man turned sharply and grabbed hold of Thorstein and pulled him up onto the bed alongside himself. 
and the sword remained in the wound. Mm. So strongly had Thorstein struck him that the sword tip was stuck in the bed. This man was amazingly strong, however, and let the sword stay where it was. And Thorstein lay between him and the bed panel. And then they have their conversation, obviously, and Thorstein right. learns about his future bride and and the luck of his family right. and all that stuff. You know, I hadn't thought about it when we were first talking about it, but um, that's actually this weirdly intimate moment. Right? I mean, they're sort of curled up it in sure bed is. together. Uh, I don't mean in a homoerotic way. I mean that it's, it's physically just a very intimate setting that you've just mm-hmm. stabbed this guy. He pulls you into bed and you're sort of lying between him and the bed panel. Uh, and now he's sort of, you know, while the sword is in his chest, of course, as soon as you remove the sword, he's going to die. Um, mm-hmm. He sort of, you know, reads Thorstein the Riot Act and then lets him go and even offers him sort of his place in the family in sure. compensation for his sins. Uh, but it's a strange moment physically. I just imagine how awkward it is for Thorstein being bear hugged there with the man right. you just stabbed in the chest. <laughs> right. <laughs> knowing that you can't get away and right. he can crush you if he wants. Right. Knowing that your life depends on the goodwill of someone who has no particular reason to wish you any. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, all right. So what do you have? Uh, what uh, One up me here. Well, I don't up. know if I can one up you, but I'm going to give you Ingeman's death to match Yokel's death. Uh, oh, I love Ingeman's oh, death. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so this is um, uh, Ingeman when he's a very old and somewhat blind man and he rides out to Froleif. Uh, to try to sort of stop Froleif and his sons from feuding. Uh, and I'll pick it up with that point. When Froleif saw him, saw Ingemund, he hurled a spear at him, and it hit him in the midriff. And when Ingemund received the wound, he rode back to the bank and said, You, boy, lead me home. He did not meet his sons, and when they arrived home, the evening was well advanced. As Ingemund came to dismount, he said, I am now stiff. We old men grow shaky on our feet. When the boy helped him down, there was a sucking noise from the wound. At that moment, the boy saw that the spear had gone right through him. Mm. Uh, it's a fantastic it's sort of description of that, of the wound, uh, which clearly now, I, I think we have to assume, has gone through a lung, mm-hmm. thus the sucking noise. And then, of course, Ingemund is able, with his last strength, to seat himself on his high seat uh, after snapping off the shaft of the spear, uh, so right. that when his sons find him dead... He's sitting up in his high seat, sort of unbowed by his mortal wound. Yeah, it's a great scene, uh, a great moment for Ingemund, and a uh, a real marker of his character, the way he behaves throughout that whole episode. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, now, perhaps it's not, you know, as sort of blood spurting through the air as we might like, but it's still, it's a it's a pretty, it's a noble death, it's a, a fairly Certainly. bloody death, and that sucking noise when he gets down off the oh, horse yeah. is just brutal. Right? But we can get to uh, some blood splattering real quickly with my next one. <laughs> No good. <laughs> it, well, you know, it wouldn't be a, a saga thing judgment section if we didn't have someone getting their buttocks locked off. <laughs> that's right. That's a <laughs> that's your that's your seal of quality on saga right, thing. Right. Our guarantee to so, you: uh, one buttock severing per saga. So this happens in uh, Thorstein and Yokel's arguments with Mar and Mar's kinsmen, and it looks like uh, we've got a guy named Thorgrim. Skin cap or skin hood, who I'm sure you'll be talking about a little bit. I will be actually. Uh, Now, this is we should say this is one of the episodes that we sort of skipped over uh, Mm -hmm. in order to get through the saga. Uh, So we're actually hearing about this for the first time. So let us have it. All right. So this situation develops after Mar and Thorgrim Skinhood start using some rather lush grazing property owned by the Ingemundersons. Naughty boys. Now, Mar's guilty of going along with this, but Thorgrim is the real bad guy who also happens to be skilled with magic. 
Now, every time Thorstein and Jokel try to meet with Mar and Thorgrim to discuss the matter, old Thorgrim is nowhere to be found. Tensions continue to rise, to the point that Thorstein and Jokel are just looking for an excuse to attack Mar now. And when they finally get their chance, Jokel pulls out Adertungi and says that he likes the idea of testing it on the necks of Mar's followers. Thorgrim, of course, anticipates the conflict and runs off into hiding. While things then go rather poorly for Thorstein and his men, uh, no matter what they do, their weapons don't bite. They then realize that Thorgrim must be hiding somewhere, using magic to render their swords useless. At this point, Jokel and Hogni are sent out by Thorstein to find Thorgrim. Jokel spots him near a river and rushes out to get him. As the saga says, Jokel got near enough for his sword to catch him, and it cut off whatever it made contact with. That is, both his buttocks, right to the backbone. <laughs> I love the delivery of that. Oh, right to the backbone. Oh, <laughs> that is rough. This is an important moment because it's uh, yet another naming of a place. Mm-hmm. This is where it says, The place where he ran into the water has since been known as Hufuhil. Oh, I can't say that. <laughs> Hufuhil. Hufuhil. How, how are you going to say that? Why would I say it at all? <laughs> this is I'm gonna, how about I this? Uh, the place where he ran into the water has since been known as Skinhood's Pool. Ugh. And Yokel said, now Atatangi has bitten. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have so, to say, it's almost an honor to have your buttocks chopped off by Atatangi. I mean, it's one of the most famous swords in the sagas. It is. Your 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 buttocks have been touched by greatness. One of the interesting things about this one is, because uh, I've, I've wondered in the past, if you get your buttocks lopped off, mm-hmm. do you survive? Mm-hmm. Seems like there'd be a lot of bleeding. Right. Um, it makes it very clear he does, right. and he has trouble. Well, we've seen other other men survive, right? Uh, uh, at the beginning of, I want to say it's Halford's saga, right? Saki the Viking uh, gets the buttocks chopped off and survives. That's right. Uh, so it does happen. Absolutely. But enough about the buttocks. Enough. Why don't you take enough. us to some more bloodshed? All right. So I'm going to take us to Ingolf's battle against the outlaws. Uh, now, this is Ingolf, the, uh, the Don Juan of Iceland, as we said. Uh, this is an epic battle. It really is. Uh, so this is, he's come ill-prepared. Uh, he's traveling light so he can catch up to the outlaws, which means he doesn't have his armor on him. And so before he uh, surprises the outlaws in their lair, he grabs two flat stones and ties one to his chest and another to his back to protect himself. Uh, and then he and a single friend uh, charge in to a lair where they find 18 outlaws waiting for them. Uh, and I'll pick it up there. They attacked Ingolf from all sides, but he defended himself bravely and well. Then he raised Atartangi, and the sword fell on the head of the man standing behind him so that he met his death. It delivered a death blow to the man standing in front, and thus Ingolf killed them both with a single blow. There was a fierce fight, and when it finished, Ingolf had killed five men, and his companion had also been struck down. They had by then come out of the shielding, and Ingolf was severely wounded. Mm-hmm. You, you gotta love uh, the the classic. I mean, it's almost a clown move, right? The the wail on the guy behind you as he's coming to get you, and then swing forward Absolutely. and kill the guy in front of you. Uh, but it's also just the whole idea of racing in to fight these guys with a sword and two rocks as right. <laughs> your entire armament. <laughs> it's completely ridiculous, but so amazing, uh, amazing. And of course, we should point out ultimately fatal. Ingolf does die of his wounds. Uh, so guy. not well thought According out, to you, but pretty uh, impressive. He dies of scurvy, <laughs> which I thought was one of the more ridiculous saga thing moments. Exacerbated <laughs> by scurvy, but the wounds themselves are what kills it. Sure. 
but yes, an epic battle, awesome stuff. One of the the finer moments of uh, sword play that you will find in the sagas. So, what do you got for us? Anything else? Are we done? All right, I have one oh, more. Yeah. Um, it's basically because I like Thorkel Scratcher, and uh, <laughs> and I enjoy when people call him a slave woman's son and seeing how he reacts. Mm-hmm. Um, in this particular episode, we did talk about this during the the summary. Um, Thorkel is being made fun of for rounding up some pigs and helping his aunt with uh, with the preparations for a wedding feast. This is Gladier who's been making fun of him, uh, calling his honor into question and his his uh, prowess as a warrior mm-hmm. into question as well. Uh, then Gladier said to Thorkel, You must have been at your farm work this morning, and we will now enjoy your pig and make sure that we are the ones who get the fattest bits. That is suitable work for the slave woman's son. <laughs> Thorkel says, Would it not be right to chop at the head first and choose the pieces yourself? He then uh, goes about his day, but a little later on, he grabs an axe that he'd been sharpening mm-hmm. and buries it in Gladier's head. Um, <laughs> this this leads to a little bit of a kerfuffle, Bit. and uh, Thorkel has to sneak out uh, by, through the women's right. uh, servant's entrance uh, or something like that. You know, what I hadn't noticed when, when we read this thing through uh, is that in a, sort of indirectly, he's calling Gladier a pig. Oh, yeah. Which I hadn't picked up on. It's nice. Yeah. That connection of I'm going to yeah, hit the head first. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we'll, we'll see more of Gladier and uh, Thorkel, I think. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I'll, I'll just leave it there. Um, now, uh, I've got one last one as well. Uh, I just want to point this one out because it's the kind of thing that uh, becomes sort of a trope in the sagas. Um, mm-hmm. The the Hauks, the two berserk brothers, both named Hauk. Uh, right, biting their shields and right, doing crazy Right, right. Yeah, we're told that they bark. And bite their shields and walk on hot coals. And it's that last As one would. that's so interesting to me, right? The walking on hot coals. Because that apparently is one of the ways that berserks, uh, kind of, I don't know, work off their energy or demonstrate their ability to, uh, become berserks is that they can walk across hot coals and not feel the pain. So in this case, we have two berserks who have been causing trouble and Thorkel Scratcher encourages local, uh, visiting missionaries to uh, find a solution to them, to to perform a miracle. And the solution they come up with is to build three fire pits, uh, which they bless. And so when the two hawks arrived, they went inside where the uh, gathering is and walked through the first fire and then the second, and they were severely burned and became very frightened of the fiery heat and wanted at once to make for the benches. And so he's already broken them of their um, berserkerdom. Uh, they were then beaten to death and carried up along the ravine, which has since been called Halkagil. Um, mm-hmm. And I like that one because there's no miracle at all, and no one suggests the missionaries have cheated. It's just that um, they've been empowered by, presumably, Christ uh, to beat the life out of these two berserks. Interesting. I don't see them being empowered by Christ at all. I see them just... Using that old trick, like we saw in Erbiga Saga, of tiring the uh, berserks mm-hmm. out and then beating the heck out of them. Right. Three fire pits rather than one. Uh, turns out to yeah. be a fire pit too far. Uh, and yet everyone <laughs> accepts that this is sort of, you know, a demonstration of Christ's power. Uh, and a yeah. number of people present do actually convert, although Thorkel Scratcher does not. Yeah, he says, I, I'm not quite ready. Right. Uh, I'll wait till I'm older. Right. Uh, and we yeah. see another one of those examples of needing to bury berserks far away from the homestead so that they can't find their way True. back to haunt you. That's uh, right. So, what do we uh, got? So, we're all done mm-hmm. here uh, with Best Bloodshed. I don't think there's even a question. <laughs> it's got to be Ingolf and the Outlaws. I, you know what? If he if he had just ran in there 
Uh, I, I'd say there's competition, but the fact that he's wearing two rocks as his sole armor when he runs in there and starts pulping people's heads, uh, yeah. you gotta give him it. You gotta give it to him for that. A bold move by Ingol. Absolutely. He may die as a result, but he gets best bloodshed. So congratulations. That's right. Rock on, Ingolf. <laughs> uh, should we stop this? Yes, please. <laughs> body, body count. count. Here we are in body count. Excellent. Where we count the bodies that fall in the sagas. <laughs> I can't believe we haven't got that let the bodies hit the, hit the ground or hit the, let the bodies hit the floor song. Uh, I, I know why we don't do that. Uh, because we can't pay the royalties? <laughs> and it's that would be lame. Oh, wow. So, body count. This is where we count the deaths in the saga. We call them untimely deaths, I think is what we've, right, we've concluded. Right. Uh, this one uh, was pretty straightforward. We got a decent number. Yeah. Although for the length yeah. of the saga, I think we could have done better. I'm a little surprised, actually. I thought, you know, when you sifted it all out, I thought there would be a higher Me number. Too. It's not a bad number, though. We came up with the number 41 deaths. 41 uh-huh. untimely deaths. There are, of course, Respectable. Of course, more deaths. There are some, uh, plenty of our figures, mostly the chieftains, all die of old uh-huh. age, which is very rare for, right. uh, for a saga. That's probably kept our numbers down, right? Is that the, the Vatensdahl family, uh, a lot of them die of right. old age. And then there's that, that one witch who, uh, who, whose magic backfires on her. Right. And, uh, right. The landslide hits her whole household and we don't get any number. That's right. unfortunate. And once again, we see the the Battle of Hothsjord and yet all they say is lots of people right. die. Well, you know, they don't have – Someday we're going to find a saga where it describes – it gives us a full list of the dead at Hothsjord and that saga is going to win for body <laughs> well, that, Maybe in the King sagas you might see that kind of thing but uh... – Hundreds of corpses in the water. If they said hundreds, how would we do that? 200, 300? No, what no, no. What does no, mean? No, that's, that's not – See, now we can't number. count it. Uh, it's tragic. Right. That's what I'm saying. Uh, so anyway, so but one thing that is interesting, uh, we do see some unusual uh, bodies in this one. A couple of suicides, mm-hmm. uh, which we've never, as, as far as either one of us can remember, we've never seen in the sagas so far in our uh, No, podcast. no, we've seen people die of grief uh, and, and die right, of kind of right. madness, throwing themselves off a cliff and things like that. But uh-huh. uh, yeah, Ivan the Proud and his friend Gout committing suicide after Ingeman's death. It's uh, one of those yeah. really strange moments. Uh, it's not dwelt upon either. It's very fast. They just say, no, I can't believe uh, he's dead. But it is. I'll kill myself. Well, and it's another one of those moments that, as you said earlier, uh, Ingeman is really kind of built up as being almost the ultimate. Yeah, chief, he's almost saintly. The, the ultimate figure. Every Exactly. Everyone sort of loves him and respects him, except for this sort of villainous Kralif. Right. Uh, but the fact that that other people, when they hear of his death, rather than running off to avenge him, which is their traditional saga response sure. – uh, are so overcome with grief that they kill themselves. Um, it really just kind of it doubles down on Ingeman's worth and Ingeman's sort of right. theme. Uh, was there any other controversy or any other thing that we wanted to talk about? Well, we did. We did have a figure who we decided we couldn't count. Hraleif's father, um, who, and this is one of those examples of how this saga really expects you to put the pieces together uh, on your own. Mm-hmm. Uh, that Hraleif, at one point, when arguing with Girmund, um, the son of Salmond says, uh, I still remember that my father died in service of your father and Ingemund. Um, now, when we went back through it, Andy and I spent a while sorting this out, the only time when Salmond and Ingemund would have been co-leaders of an expedition would have been back in their Viking right. days. Back in Norway. Right. Uh, and so, right. And so Salmond's brother must have died on one of those expeditions, mm-hmm. right? Salmond's brother being Raleigh's father. Uh, and so it's exa- an example of how, you know, some stories just aren't included in the sagas. 
but in this case, this author uh, expects us to be able to sort of put those pieces together and to develop the understanding that this is how Harley's father died. Uh, and more importantly, uh, what, what I think the author's playing with here is the complexity of kin relationships and the, the yes. duty owed to, to your kin. Uh, Harley's father died serving uh, Samund. Uh, Germund's father. And mm-hmm. so Germund does owe, or I should say, Seyman's family owes Hrolleif something. Um, and so right. it, despite right. his reputation, Hrolleif does have a place in, uh, in Germund's house. Which also, by the way, when we were doing the summary, uh, we talked about, you know, so we were mystified by why Ingemund is willing to put up with Hrolleif. And this also goes some way toward explaining that, right? He too bears some responsibility or feels he bears some responsibility mm-hmm. for Hrolleif's father's death. And so he too, like Samon, is sort of more indulgent of Raleigh than he should be. Uh, and ultimately, that ends in trap. So I think uh, what's going on there is uh, Ingemund is just so completely loyal to Samon uh, that he's mm-hmm. willing to do this service for for his friend Samon. Um, he's also mm-hmm. interested in, in maintaining stability in that region. And uh, Raleigh is a problem that he – I think he, he believes that he can handle. Um, and it turns out that he right. he, uh, he just can't. So right. anyway, interesting stuff. Yeah, Harley's father does not count because the death doesn't happen in the saga. It's referred to, but we never see it. And so 41 is our body count, so, you know, medium, medium number. number. All right, let's uh, move on to our next category. Nicknames. So I'm just going to sit back and enjoy. You make with the nicknames, John. What do you got for us this week? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's such an embarrassment of riches here. Uh, we've got We've got no time to discuss a ton of yeah. nicknames. I've got... Uh, a list of some 50 yeah. nicknames or well, so. And why don't we saga. put that list up uh, um, on the webpage? So if you go to sagathingpodcast.wordpress.com for this particular episode, mm-hmm. I'll provide a link to John's list of nicknames and his boring explanations for them. Ouch. <laughs> so uh, the first one we're going to discuss is Orm Brokenshell, uh, Skelliamola. I like this one. I actually wish there was a little more to say about it. Um, the name refers not necessarily to a cracked shell, but to a broken shard of a shell or a piece of shell. Uh, some people have, have suggested that it might re- be a reference to a digging implement, mm. uh, and it might associate Orm with shellfish in some way. I don't think like so. Maybe he's a clam digger as a I hobby. I have a theory on this one. Uh, nothing, nothing definitive, but there you go. Well, okay, well, what do you think? See, I, I have a feeling this gentleman was involved in a battle, or he had he had his, <laughs> uh, his shield on his back like a turtle mm-hmm. and was cracked. His shell was cracked. When he was struck in and the back. You are, and you are basing this on what? Uh, he has a cracked shell, and so he was acting like a turtle. No. No? Uh, on to Asbjorn the Fleshy. Oh, so you don't have a, a rebuttal. You just say no and move on. I'm not going to bother rebutting that. Okay. Uh, it's a good theory. Asbjorn the Fleshy. Uh, <laughs> uh Now, kjot, uh, or kjot, uh means flesh, but in the sense of meat, not fat. Uh, so that kjotvi, uh, means something like meaty or slab-like <laughs> rather than fatty. Okay. Uh, it's actually the same word for those of you who speak, uh, Scots, English. Uh, it's the same word as the Scots word ket, which means carrion meat. Okay. Uh, so I think this is actually more of a compliment than it sounds like. It's something more like Asbjorn the thick-bodied or Asbjorn the, the stout. I think stout's better than thick-bodied. Well, but I think, you know, but rather than Asbjorn the tub of chub, which is what it sort of sounds like they're saying about it. Asbjorn the husky. Right. <laughs> Excellent. On to the next one. <laughs> Turf Einar. That's good. Turf Einar. It's a really straightforward name. Uh, the only interesting thing about it is that no one knows why he was called Turf Einar. I'm actually, 
I'm going to digress here for oh, a minute geez. and say that Einar, I think, is in the running for the most interesting Norwegian in the world. Is that right? Uh, he becomes Earl of Orkney, so he figures in the Orkneying Saga. He's the subject of Turf Einar's Saga, which supposedly existed in the Middle Ages, but we've since lost. He is the only person other than the Ragnarsons who is attested in the sagas as having performed a blood eagle on a conquered enemy. Come on. He was recognized as a poet of such skill that one type of verse meter in Old Norse poetry is called Turf Einar's Meter. He's the father of three sons, one of whom is Thorfinn's Skull Splinter, which has to be the most Viking name in history. <laughs> and he lost an eye, but still had the best long-range vision of anyone in the Orkneys. Take that, Grace. So all this, and yet no one has a plausible explanation for why he's called Turf Einar. Hmm. One theory is put forward in the sagas, which is that he introduced the practice of peat burning to the Orkneys, but that's been conclusively proven false by the archaeological record. Uh, peat burning predates the Norse settlement of the Orkneys by centuries. So he's actually just a really amazing guy with a boring name. So for for those of you who are wondering who John Sexton is, <laughs> this is who John Sexton is. He's the guy that finds Turf Einar, who is mentioned probably on one page of this saga. I would imagine he spent a good day searching out that information. <laughs> Maybe more. Nah. I, was, I did that during my kids' naps the other day. <laughs> Gotta love this guy. Uh, <laughs> ah, I love this stuff. Next, Thorgrim Skinhood. You mentioned yes. him earlier. Uh, Skinhood. I assume he just has a leather cap, um, right? Well, his name refers to a distinctive piece mm-hmm. of headgear, yeah, since uh, skin refers usually either to a leather hide, as you say, or a piece of fur. And in fact, uh, in other sagas, skin-based nicknames usually indicate a person with a background as a trapper or a fur trader. Okay. Uh, but here... I think you're right. It means he's got a noticeably flashy hat. Gotcha. Um, Thorbjorg, pride of the farm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Which, I mean, sounds such a silly name, but the name literally means farm's remedy. And it probably refers to Thorbjorg's superior skills as a manager of household resources. Sounds like the kind of lady you want to have around. Exactly. No, it's legitimately, it's a high compliment for a woman, right? In in the sagas, uh, a woman's ability to oversee the needs and resources of a farm can make the difference between life and death in a lean year. So I think pride of the farm doesn't really do her justice. I would say farm's remedy or farm's help or farm's cure is a much more accurate and complimentary name. Like it. Uh, Now, Thorkel Scratcher we covered before in Halford Saga. And in fact, um, this this is a first for us. He's already won best nickname in another mm, saga. Can he take it again? Uh, so he's he's kind of disqualified from this competition. Is he really? Yeah, Shameful. I think so. Uh, you can't yeah you can't have somebody winning best nickname twice. I, I think. think you could. Uh, so we move on. Thorolf Plagothy. <laughs> yeah, I assume he, uh, he likes to pretend he's bigger than he is. <laughs> right. Well, no, that's the thing is that you know I think in the English translation. Uh, it's a, this is a correct, but I think misleading translation because of this. It sounds like we're saying he's playing at being a Gothi, but it's, I think here play is meant in the sense, uh, in the term like homo ludens, man at play. Um, he's not immature. He's a gamesman, right? He's a man who enjoys leisure activities, just sports or board game. Uh, the reason people use play Gothi is that lacquer, uh, can also mean pretending or performing as in a theatrical play. Uh, so the English word play captures all the potential of the Norse word, but adds an unfortunate childish element. What I'm saying is, don't play around with Thorolf Plagothi. Really? That's what I'm saying. I, I think he just likes to pretend he's a Gothi. And people are making fun of him for that. <laughs> Fair enough. So I reject right. your uh, um, your reading. <laughs> we'll see what you think of this one. Bard the Peevish. I, that's uh, fairly This is a great name. Yeah, it is. Uh, and it only gets nastier when you look at the Icelandic. Uh, the name comes from a word with the root meaning of stiff or rigid. Oh. 
And it ends up with connotations ranging from froward to temperamental to harsh-mannered to ungraceful. Uh, the impression is of a man who just doesn't, just doesn't fit well in a social mm-hmm. setting. Peevish gets that across, but we're looking at a meaning that's probably closer to bard the asocial or even bard the awkward. I met a few of those kind of guys in my time. I've I've been that guy. <laughs> Thorolf Sledgehammer. See, now we're getting to the heavy hitters. Oh, good. Uh, now, I was sure that this would turn out to be some convenient over-translation. Yeah. Right? They can't possibly, like, Sledgehammer has to be... But in fact, all the sources agree it does indeed mean sledgehammer. The sad thing is he never uses a sledgehammer. No. Now that said, the idea of the sledgehammer is worth a look because he doesn't use one. So what does it mean? Right? What's meant is clearly not a sledgehammer in the sense that we think of it in the modern day. Uh, the name derives from an Anglo-Scandinavian verb, slagen, which means to strike or to slay. I think slaying hammer is an even more awesome nickname than sledgehammer, but whatever. How about death hammer? Death hammer. There you go. Death hammer. Um, which, if it isn't already a band name, it will be as soon as people hear this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Oskir Scatterbrain. <laughs> uh, and this is just one of those really, really hard to translate names. Uh, our translation gives us Scatterbrain, but that's almost certainly wrong. Paul Peterson suggests Furious Man, uh, which is probably a little bit closer. According to Cleesby Vigvison, the name means Downy-Headed or Ader Drake, uh, as in a kind of duck. I have nothing to say about that apart from the fact that I disagree wholeheartedly with it. Hater Drake. The the name breaks down into Avi, which means rageful or frenzied, and Kolur, head or crown. So Scatterbrain captures the agitation of Asgir's mind, but not his anger control issues. Okay. I, I kind of like frenzied as a nickname for him. Sure, yeah, it incorporates works. Yeah, it incorporates both his ADD and his tendency to lose his cool. I don't remember this guy in the saga at all. Yeah, he's just mentioned once. There you go. <laughs> uh, but no, no, now my last guy is a, ma- a major figure. Thorir Goatfy. We can't skip Thorir Goatfy. Oh, yes. I love Come on. It. Finally, you get a good one. Yeah, well, there you go. I like this nickname a lot. Uh, the actual name is pretty clear. Uh, Hoferstio means buck goat's thigh. Uh, but what does that mean? I'm sure you'll tell us. Um, well, one suggestion is that it's a reference to the goat's buttocks, in which case it's almost certainly an insult, right? Goat's ass is pretty clearly not a compliment. Uh, but another option is that it refers to a man skilled in jumping or climbing, right? A goat-legged man. Yeah, that's what I would think it would be. Well, there you go. That's what he uses his berserk rages for, for jumping. For jumping about mountains. madly? Yeah. I like that. We should also consider the possibility that a reference is being made to the myth of Thor's journey to Utgard Loki. Uh, when one of Thor's goats is lamed in the thigh. Briefly, uh, Thor's goats, Tangrisner and Tangyoster, uh, tooth bearer and tooth grinder, have a magical property. He can slaughter them and eat their meat, and then the next morning passes hammer Mjolnir over their bones, and they're alive and whole again. But on the trip to Utgard Loki, a boy named Thialfi cracks a thigh bone open during a meal, and the next morning, one of the goats is lame due to the injury. So is this a reference to that? I don't know. Does he have a limp, perhaps, such as would be had by one of Thor's goats? Or, as you say, possibly the jumping about madly like a goat. Yeah, I see him bouncing around like a flea, actually. Well, there you go. Uh, so what do you think? I can't remember anybody's name. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I kind of glazed over All there. Right. <laughs> uh, I think Thorkel Scratcher. No, come on now. <laughs> he, we, I realize it's a fine name. It's a fine story. But he has already won. Let's be like John Larroquette in his sixth year of being nominated for Best Supporting Actor in a Comedy and Stand Aside. <laughs> I can't believe that. <laughs> I'm going to give you three options. <laughs> okay, thank you. 
Um, Thorolf Sledgehammer. Yeah. Because, come on. Thorbjord Pride of the Farm. Oh, I love her. Yeah. And, uh, it's going to kill me. Thorgothai. I'll go with Thorgothai. Mm. All right. So I think, in my opinion, Gothai is a nice image. But in terms of uh, deep meaning and interest for me, I'm going to go with Thorbjorg, Pride of the Farm. Not only because it's a mouthful, but because it's just so meaningful. It's a, it's a fascinating name. It really is. Um, I, I, I love the idea because it's one of those rare instances. You get the impression in the sagas, I think, too often that men are the only ones who sort of truck in this world of your reputation becoming your name. And we do occasionally get these hints. That's not the case. That in fact, women are also being sort of socially and communally judged for their behavior and their actions, and that they end up with nicknames too. Just they're rarely at the center of sagas, and so they rarely end up, we rarely end up seeing their names. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think Pride of the Farm, or Farm's Remedy, as I suggested, I think is a great name. Um, are we going to let it beat Thorolf Sledgehammer? <laughs> You're right. That's it's a, a tough name. one. It's a, it, Pride of the Farm's a great name. When you think of Thorolf Sledgehammer, you've got to think of his 20 cats. Right. No, good point. Um, can can a, a good housekeeper overcome a score of demonic cats? And a sledgehammer. And a sledgehammer. No, uh, Thorbjorn can't <laughs> overcome that. <laughs> so Thorolf Sledgehammer it is? Yes, it's got to be. All right. So be it. Congratulations, Thorolf. Notable, Notable witticisms. witticisms. So just like we had a lot of nicknames for this saga, we had an abundance of great lines. Uh, we tried mm-hmm. to narrow the focus a little bit. Um, each of us has selected just a few. Uh, John, why don't you go first? All right. So uh, this first one is a reference to Hrolif the Tall. Uh, it's a conversation between his cousin Germund and Germund's father, Samund. Uh, Hrolif has just returned to their neighborhood and is now living on their land. Mm-hmm. And Germund says of him, this kinsman of ours pays for his board with those things of which he has in abundance, threats and harsh words along with cruel deeds. Uh, and it's worth noting that Hralif, uh says of this and other things about him, he deserved better than such ill-natured tittle-tattle. <laughs> I'm sure he said tittle-tattle. Right. I mean, it's, a, it's a direct translation from the Old Norse. Well, it gives uh, you a good sense of why people don't want him around if uh, he's basically right. paying for his rent in just nastiness. Right. You treat him well and his response is to abuse you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That pretty much sums him up. Yeah, uh, it does. What do you got? Well, I want to stick with the Hrolif, uh section a little bit. Um, it's really mm-hmm. the major episode in the whole saga when, if you exclude uh, Thorkel. Um, mm-hmm. Hrolif kills Ingamund, if you remember. I think we all remember that. Um, <laughs> Everyone knows where way. they were when Ingamund was killed. Yeah. So speaking of ill deeds being repaid, uh, Ingamund goes r- out on a limb to really protect Hrolif, and uh, Hrolif throws a spear through him, uh, which we talked about in Best Bloodshed. Mm. Hrolif makes his way to German's house, and uh, German sees him coming and says, uh, what news do you have? Uh, Hrolif said that he had to report the death of Ingamund from Hof. Germund responds, there's an able man gone. What was the cause of his death? Hrolif said, he was used as a target. Oh, that's a, <laughs> that's that's a terrible and disrespectful thing to say. <laughs> it is. I mean, the guy went out of his way to save you from his own sons Ugh. after you had already run a, uh, a spear through him. You know, not, you're to, gonna... uh, not to spoil our outlaws section, but uh, Hrolif is pretty rotten. Mm-hmm. 
designed rotten and uh you know mm-hmm. he he deserves what's coming to him uh, well but and as Damon says he takes after his mother yeah such a disrespectful way of announcing the death of Ingeman really who had is. taken him in right technically and, technically legal right he's technically on the on the sweet side of the law there but yeah. what a rough but boy he enjoys it a little bit too much yeah he does uh yeah. All right, so I'm going to move us ahead a little bit. Okay. Uh, speaking of people who skirt the edges of the law, uh, Ingolf, after one of his uh, episodes of getting in trouble for wooing the daughters of wealthy men, uh, is called into court to answer for his poetry about Valgard, Otter's daughter. Uh, and his uncle, Jokel, who is outraged by the idea that they should be called into court by anyone, uh says that Thorstein, his brother and Ingol's father, must be growing very old to allow this sort of thing go on. And, uh, though we are not well-versed in the law, we can render this case void enough with our axe hammers. Yeah. And well, they do, right? (laughs) And well, they do. They absolutely do. They burst into the court and bash the whole place down until everybody runs away. It's a bit of Yokel's wisdom. It is, really. Uh, So what do you got? He's like the Gronk of the uh, <laughs> uh, of the Ingemandersons. He really is. You know, the, the, he was Inge- being rude, so I escorted him out of the club. <laughs> uh, yeah, my next one. Uh, I'm jumping ahead as well. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about my buddy Thorkel Scratcher and his uh-huh. enemy Gladier, who he uh, eventually puts an axe in. So this is where it, uh, things get a little bit messy. Mm-hmm. Now, as we mentioned in the summary section. Uh, like most young men in the sagas, Thorkel makes a name for himself by adventuring overseas, and that's important for this uh, example. Uh-huh. In this case, he, he spent some time raiding with Earl Sigurd of the Orkney Isles, and these adventures show that he's no slouch, and presumably he returns to Iceland with a good reputation. But Thorkel's a humble man from humble origins, so he doesn't let all of that go to his head. And we see this humility in the section with Gladier and the pigs. We already know the violent outcome of this exchange, but my notable witticism comes from the start of the conflict. Uh It's the day after Thorkel has been running around herding pigs and then slaughtering a few of them for the wedding feast. His foster father puts him in charge of hospitality for the wedding, uh, which means that Thorkel is running around serving people and making sure that they're taken care of. Gladier and a bunch of other men take note of this and start laughing and saying, The slave son's now very grand. Thorkel, of course, shrugs it off, saying that it's better to reward his hospitality with good humor and cheer rather than scorn and abuse. Well, Gladier seizes the opportunity to drive the shame home. He says that Thorkel had accomplished many great deeds. And well may you boast mightily of the fact. Why, it was but a short time ago that you killed the piglet which had sucked the teat for only one night. That is just your kind of job. Is there any one question why Gladier ends up with an axe in his head? Now, well, Thorkel doesn't take this very well. He chides Gladier for his poorly chosen words and keeps his cool. In the morning, however, he gets up early, heads out to the shed, <laughs> and begins sharpening his axe, Jarlsnot, or Earl's Gift. Clearly a fine axe given to him by Earl Sigurd for the deeds he accomplished. And since we've already covered the rest of this episode in Best Bloodshed and the summary, I'll just leave it there. Very nice. So even though it's quite rude, I, I still think that Gladier's taunt is pretty funny and worth considering. That's a good one. I've got one last mm-hmm. one. Uh, this is indirect speech, so we have to tr- trust the narrator here for the for the joke. Um, but this is the first time that Thorgrim of Karnsa and his his estranged son Thorkel Scratcher are reintroduced to each other at a gathering. Uh, I remember that uh, Thorgrim exposed Thorkel uh, because Thorkel was the son of his uh, servant, and mm-hmm. uh, he was rescued by uh, Thor Goatthai. 
So now Thorgrim sees him. Uh, Thorkel was playing on the floor with other children and was both big and strong and a very handsome youth. He stopped in front of Thorgrim and gazed at him for a long time and at the small axe which he was holding. Thorgrim asked why this slave woman's son was staring at him as he was. And Thorkel said, it was no great thrill for him even if he was looking at him. I love it. It's a good line. It's a good response. Right. Well, I LOL'd at that moment. <laughs> you LOL'd. It's a great line. <laughs> uh, so is that it? Well done? No, I have one more okay. that I, I want you to seriously consider. Though it might not necessarily count as a notable witticism. <laughs> it's an odd one. Uh, this is when uh, Yokel and Thorstein are getting ready to attack mm-hmm. uh, uh, Thorolf's sledgehammer. And they're standing out front of his property and there's all this smoke and everything. The cats are howling and it says they are behaving monstrously. Thorstein said, they are a gruesome lot. And this is the line I want you to consider. Mm-hmm. Yokel replied, let's get in there and not worry about these cats. Now, listen to Thorstein's reply. Thorstein said that they should not, because it is more likely that we would be unable to keep our troops safely together, what with the cats and Thorolf's weapons and everything else. Now, so right, I'm Thorstein's gonna, wisdom wins out. I'm going to say that that's evidence uh, for in favor of what I say, which is that these cats are not normal house cats. They're meant to be no, no. cats of prey, right? They're They're giant cats of some kind. Uh, otherwise, this is the most lily-livered bunch of warriors ever to assemble outside a witch's house. If they're in danger of being broken up and set to running by 20 house cats. Well, let me let me put it this way. If you see a large tomcat that is uh, uh, quite aggressive, and then you multiply him by 20, that's pretty formidable either way. Do you have the sword Ottertangi? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but how many – I mean, this is one of those good questions. How many cats right. could you take with Adertungi? I mean, yeah, okay, if there's two cats, probably three cats. Mm. Uh, you know, once you get past three cats, they're going to start surrounding you. They have this magical quality. They seem to be able to focus their energy. You know what? Um, uh, John, in all honesty, how many cats do you think you could take out with Adertungi? Uh, are they coming at you all at once or sort of in a line? Uh, no, they're not in a line because that's too easy. This going to be Bruce Lee style many... where they all stand around me, but they only attack me one at a time. No, no, they are they are orchestrating their attack. Well, I'm reasonably sure that I would take a few fairly nasty scratches, but <laughs> really, I, I think I could take them all. What if they climb up? They climb up your leg, they get on your shoulder, <laughs> and they start attacking your face. <laughs> I just want to be clear. It they. They don't have to be uh, mountain lions to be formidable. I, I'm pretty confident that uh, 20 house cats would not terrify uh, a group of over a dozen <laughs> warriors. These are monstrous, of, monstrous house yes, cats. Yes, they are monstrous because they're not, in fact, house cats. And these guys aren't wearing rocks to, to protect themselves. All right, all right, all right. We can do this for an hour. You'll still be wrong, but we won't actually get anywhere. All um, right, so who, who, where are you, what are you going to vote for? All right, I'll give it to Yokel, but I'm not giving it to him for that line. Um, I don't think there's a better line in this saga than uh-huh. we will render the case void with our axe hammers. Mm, you know, I wanted to give it to Thorkel Scratcher for uh, uh, what, are you, the, what are you looking at? I don't know. The no great thrill to look at you? Yeah, yeah. but uh, but you're right. That's a, that's a perfect one, and Yokel does deserve some kind of credit. That's right. So congratulations, Yokel. Oh, oh Lori. 
All right. This is an excellent category. Uh, Outlaws, where we actually get to throw somebody out. (laughs) And there are a lot. There's quite a rogues gallery in this saga of people who need to be bounced out of Iceland. Yeah, it's it's quite surprising just how many villains we encounter Mm -hmm. in uh, Vatnsdal saga. And that's certainly one of the complaints, maybe, that they're a little bit shallowly... uh, uh, constructed. Well, I think particularly in the generation of the Ingemundersons, uh, we yeah. just get this kind of, you know, the the pattern is that they are called in to eliminate one threat after another. Exactly. Uh, and so we get, what, half a dozen stories in a row of them eliminating a threat. Right. Um, and yeah, none of those characters are, are, are fleshed out enough to really care mm-hmm. about. The one that is fleshed out, and I think the very clear uh, uh, candidate for outlawry, is uh, Rolif mm-hmm. and perhaps his mother Ljot. Right. So we're going to do this Goonies style. We're going to have the uh, the son and the mother as a team. <laughs> right. Uh, ready well, to be eliminated. They, I mean, where are they not a team in this saga? Right. Uh, that's a fair point. She's always um, lurking in the background trying to cast right. a spell with her head between her legs. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think, I mean, we have a lot of other figures. Uh, you know, Berg and Finbogi are a good sure. example. But their their only real sin is being kind of proud and stupid. Well, Berg is you know obnoxious. He's violent. He he challenges people to uh, duels and doesn't show up. Right. Um, Finbogi is more feels more like he's sort of dragged along in Berg's wake. But again, when you compare their crimes to the crimes right. of others in the side, right? I mean, when we look at we look at the crimes of say Raleigh and Dot. Um, I mean, Raleigh murders multiple people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do mean murders, right? He doesn't announce the killings. He doesn't cover the bodies. No, he's a murderer. Um, he kills the, is, uh, the, the saint of Vatnsdal, uh, Ingemund, and then has a, right. a good laugh about it. Right, right. D- dares to crack jokes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yot the Witch, uh, is sort of a horrific figure. I mean, aside from, um, her, uh, contortionist death, uh, she's also been casting spells and is attempting to cast a spell to destroy the Vatnsdal family. They're, they're a pretty awful mother-son team. They really are. Now, we should at least point out, I mean, there's a few other figures who are at least memorable, right? Thorolf Sledgehammer and his 20 cats, yes. Uh, Thorolf Darkskin um, and his sort of evil spells. You can even throw Mar the Sacrificer in there if you want right, to. Right, absolutely. Well, we should also consider we do have legitimately antagonistic figures in the saga, right? Uh, I'm thinking of yeah. uh, Otar, right, who, um, who objects to Ingolf hitting on his daughter and sends two assassins... Uh, one right. of whom actually manages to kill Ingolf's brother. Yeah, in uh, any other saga, that would get him outlawed, probably. Absolutely. I mean, Otar is legitimately, you know, doing things that we would consider to be bad, even though right. legally he has justification for doing them, right? That, that he, Ingolf's behavior here is inappropriate. Strange about uh, Otar and his family. They actually are kind of outlawed from the district. They have to move their family. Right. Um, which we see in Halfred's saga. And uh, Rolief is never really outlawed, despite all of well, his horrible behavior. I mean, he's forced to bounce the, around. The right? of his kin bonds. He's forced to leave more than once. He's forced to abandon a household uh, and return to Girmund. He's forced to uh, then move to Ingemund's place. Uh, he gets around. Um, yeah. He's sort of one jump ahead of outlawry at any given moment. But the question is, is he one jump ahead of outlawry at saga thing? Definitely not. I, I don't, don't think, think he so. is. I think uh, he I think- can't escape the clutches of uh, these two amazing Gothar. <laughs> well, I think there's a number of people uh, in this saga who are worthy of being outlawed, but none of whom are needing it the way Hraleif does. And exactly. I'm going to argue that Yacht has to go with him. Oh, I would agree with that. I mean, it's not like she would hang around by herself anyways. 
That's right. They are they are a team. They are uh, the Abbott and Costello of Saga Evil. <laughs> what? That's or maybe like uh, <laughs> Norman Bates and uh, his oh, there mother. you go, Norman Bates and his mother, whose name escapes me. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I do get the impression that if uh, if Liot suddenly died, uh, Rolief would still. Right, <laughs> lurking behind a rock with a wig on it, and of course, once Raleigh dies, Yacht dies um, essentially as a result. Right, she that's right uh, is overcome in her rage and fury and dies. Mm-hmm. Uh, that the two of them are clearly a team. They live together, they kill together, and they can get the heck off the island together. I Absolutely. say we outlaw the two of them. Excellent and well deserved. Big man. Now, while this category may stress me out just slightly, it is also <laughs> my very favorite category because it, it sets my mind a working, the wheels mm-hmm. a spinning. Um, I, uh, I'm really hoping, knowing that you're going first this time, yep. that, uh, you don't screw me and take the guy that I really want. <laughs> How are you that focused That's on one figure in this saga? We've got six generations of a family that is almost unparalleled in their accomplishments. How can you only have one guy that you want? Well, to be fair, there are many guys, four or five people that I, mm-hmm. I would definitely consider and be happy to take. That said, there's one person that I really want, and okay. uh, we'll see if it works out. Um, I think you're probably going to be just fine, because with this many people to, ca- to choose from, I don't see how I can accidentally even come across the guy you want. But we'll you're going to take Yokel, aren't you? Um, <laughs> uh, so I've got... I've got to look at this family. Obviously, the Thingmen uh, options in this saga come down to the members of the Vatanzal family, right? I don't think we need to look outside the family. I'm going to eliminate a couple of guys right off the bat because uh, Thorstein Kettleson, interesting guy. Uh, we meet him early in the saga. He, he's the sort of fairy tale hero uh, of the early sure. part of the saga. Are we allowed to take guys that are uh, that only exist outside of Iceland? Um, I don't know if we've ever discussed that. Well, rule, but I don't think that we've ever made a rule about that. We've said the outlawry has to be somebody who's in Iceland, but uh, uh, in any case, I'm saying I'm not going to take him. So ultimately, I don't think there's enough there. No, I'm also going to say I got to just eliminate Thorkel Scratcher. Um, I'm really interested in him, and I can see from the look on your face that I've just made you very happy. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that's Is just that fine. obvious. Um, I think I think Thorkel Scratcher is a fine figure. I really enjoy him. And I, I really enjoy, you know, we spotted uh, when we were doing the summary, the sort of, uh, the very kind of quintessential hero's journey that he goes on yeah. in establishing himself. Uh, all that said, the saga writer, you know, it's always the show don't tell. He keeps saying that Thorkel Scratcher is the equal or the superior of his ancestors. I don't see it in, in his actions. Um, I see hmm. that the saga writer wants us to believe that. But ultimately, Thorkel to me is kind of an imitation of his ancestors, not a superior to them. I might respectfully uh, disagree with you. On I'm that. sure you would and will when you pick him, because I can tell you're going to, and that's <laughs> fine. There's nothing wrong with him. He's a fine figure. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let him lie until you, uh, until you take make your pick. So I've left myself now with uh, Ingemund, Thorstein, Jokel, and Ingolf. Well, I'll tell you right now that you're not picking Thorstein. Why is that? Thorstein is too bland. He There's just not enough there. And obviously, Yokel's too brutish, so it's not that. So you've got to be either choosing Ingemund, the saintly old man. He's not an old man throughout the entire saga. Exactly. He's only an old man when he dies. Uh, and, and his actions as an old man reflect a, a life well-lived and mm-hmm. uh, a lot of wisdom. So I really like Ingemund. Look at how enthusiastically you try to sell me on these other figures now that I've eliminated the one you want. Oh, you don't know who I want. What a happy man you are all of a sudden. You have no idea Um, who I want. 
Now, Ingeman, I think, is clearly, he's a, uh, from the beginning, he's blessed, uh, by the luck of his family. Um, he, although he does have that kind of weird moment where he resists moving to Iceland, uh, he then proceeds to establish the northern Godorth. Oh, yeah. He establishes a chieftaincy. He proves he's a, a tremendously successful Viking. He fights at Hofsjord uh, on the side of Harold and is one of the few Icelanders who is so winning a person that he actually manages to maintain a friendship with Harold Fairhair even after he moves to Iceland. And that's a good friend to have. It is a good friend to have. Uh, he is the father of a number of very accomplished men. He is the one who brings the sword Ottertangi into Icelandic uh, storytelling and into Icelandic legend by admittedly stealing it from a Norwegian captain. Uh, <laughs> well, nobody's perfect. Uh, mm-hmm. He is uh, possessed. He's the was well, the namesake of uh, a, a Swedish earl, uh, and he's possessed of the bloodlines of Jokel the Giant. As well as Thorstein, the fairy tale hero, uh, he's a pretty damn good option. Absolutely. Uh, the other figure that we can look at is Ingolf. Yes, you gotta love Ingolf. I mean, ladies love cool Ingolf. Um, they do, and it's not just the ladies that love him. No, it's not just the ladies that love him. He's an accomplished uh, warrior. He's a respected Gothi. He um, is apparently uh, irresistible to every woman in Iceland, even the ones too old and too young right. uh, who yeah, eat and their hearts go, out. Uh, I know we did a, a poem about Ingolf in this uh, summary, but if you go back to Halfred's saga, there's an even better poem uh, true. about him that involves both <laughs> old women and young women. That's right. Uh, and, of course, you know, stone armor. Yeah. Now, I don't necessarily agree with you. I don't think Thorstein is out of contention. And my argument is this. Thorstein is not... He's not one-dimensional. He's the one who actually pulls the legacy of the family back together uh, after his father after his father's uh, uh, inheritance is distributed among the sons. He's the mm-hmm. one who sort of one by one pulls it all back together. Uh, he's also he is possessed of farsight. He is possessed of the family luck. He is actually visited by the family fetch. Not at the moment of his death, but in order to preserve his life, which is pretty remarkable. Yokel, I think, uh, pales without his brother there to sort of play off of. Right? Yokel by himself is just sort of the, the hired muscle. Right. Thorstein by himself is still a pretty remarkable guy. Uh, so I've got Ingemund, Thorstein, and Ingolf. Right? A grandfather, a father, and a son. Yeah. Uh, given those options, I think Ingemund is really – he's hard to beat. He is. Uh, Ingemund is pretty impressive – when you look at him from start to finish, that's a career that I want a thingman of mine to have. Right? A man who can maintain relationships back in Norway. He can befriend Norwegian kings and Icelandic Gothor. He's res- respected throughout Iceland for his judgments and for his uh, quiet air, his unwillingness to get involved in feuds and vengeance. Uh, and yet at the same time, an accomplished Viking, a man who's traveled the world and never meets defeat on the seas. Yeah. And on the one occasion when he meets his match in Samond, he befriends Samond. Everybody loves this guy. He's quite remarkable. It's So I'm going to have to say Ingemann Thorstensen, remarkably enough, uh, is going to end up being my thingman. I think it's an excellent choice. And if I had been in your position, I very likely might have chosen Ingemund. Mm-hmm. Um, so congratulations on a, on a great pick. Plus you get a, a nice name recognition there. Absolutely. And, uh, and an excellent reputation. So certainly an influential, uh, individual. Um, 
So I'm left to choose uh, between, I think, Ingolf, Thorkel Scratcher. I'm going to disregard Thorstein. Mm-hmm. I'm disregarding Yokel. I'm I'm a little surprised about Yokel. I kind of thought you had a soft spot for him. I, you know what? I really, really do. But <laughs> I have enough brutes in my culture of thing men. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to uh, maybe soften it up with a little bit of wisdom here, or maybe some <laughs> uh, some other abilities round our group out a little bit. Um, one person you didn't mention that I think is a really intriguing candidate is Thordis the Prophetess. <laughs> Okay. You're going to tell me you didn't consider her. I didn't consider her because, I, like I said, I started off by assuming that I had to work within this family just because they're so central to the storyline. They but are. go on. But make your case. If you think about how Thingmen work and mm-hmm. what you want from a Thingman, you want people that are able to manipulate events in your favor, mm-hmm. whether that's working social relationships or or more supernatural means. And Thordis the Prophetess comes up never as a wicked witch, which I mm-hmm. think is quite fascinating. She always comes in to just help people out. What, one of the things that Thordis does that's really, really impressive is she creates a, uh, a little spell with her magic staff that... Mm-hmm. Uh, Thorkel Scratcher uses to dumbfound Goodman the Powerful. Right. And that's that's no small potatoes. Goodman the Powerful is a major figure. Exactly. If you uh, can, We haven't necessarily yeah. seen much of him so far, but we will see him in several sagas, and he's, a, he's no one to mess with, as his nickname suggests. <laughs> exactly. Um, so if you can get him to be tongue-tied and then mm-hmm. win a case through the use of magic the way that Thordis the Prophetess does, um, that's someone you might really want to have on your side, and if this was a a lesser saga with fewer individuals in it, like we've seen in some of the warrior poet sagas, she would have been great to add. Oh my God. Just take Thorkel Scratcher already. Oh, I am taking him. Um, yeah, I know. Uh, I know your face lit up when I said I wasn't taking him. <laughs> I was very happy. Um, but John, before I make my selection, I just want to remind you of something that happened. <laughs> we could have saved each other a lot of time and, and agony. If you had mm-hmm. just, uh, maybe taken a deal that was offered to you. I want you to listen to this clip really quickly. <laughs> can Please. I can I just make one more uh, yes. uh, plea? Yes. <laughs> if you let me take Thorkel Scratch, you're just torturing me, aren't you? You can have Ingolf. What do you say? <laughs> That's a pretty good deal. I won't dirty my hands with your deal. <laughs> this is a. I fine won't take deal. your blood money. We both know that those two individuals are far better than Halfred or whoever you're going to pick. Absolutely right. I agree. So what do you say? We go behind the shed and we make a deal here. Oh, this is terrible. This is terrible. Um, You are the devil. You are tempting me into sin. I will Thorkel scratch your back. And and you Thorkel scratch my back. Uh, No, no. It was wrong, and I refused. You rejected it. But just think, you could have, right now, you could have Ingmund and Ingolf. I'm good. <laughs> I got all, Ingmund anyway. <laughs> but you don't have and, Ingolf. And we'll have another shot at Ingolf, because he's a, he's a figure in uh, 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 Fjallstall Saga. Well, if I uh, am the leader of Fjallstall Saga, then you can bet I won't let you have him. <laughs> Because <laughs> I will carry this bitterness to the grave, my friend. Wow. And yet so, and yet here you are getting what you wanted all along. So, Well, you know, I could have had him earlier. I am going to take Thorkel Scratcher. I have well, it's about uh, time. En- enjoyed this character for a very long time. Uh-huh. Um, I love his story. I love what he represents to the saga, how he fits in. 
I think he is a uh, both a noble, um, a heroic, and a very wise character, embodying mm-hmm. all of the characteristics of the many characters that we see leading men throughout Vatensdal Saga. Um, so I'm happy to have him as my thing man. I think uh, I think we both got great choices this time. I don't think honestly there were that many bad choices in this saga. So no, uh, I agree. Yeah, good on in us. In fact, we're le- we're leaving some really great ones on the table. We really are. Sad. We really. I can't believe Thorstein and Yokel are both going to go begging, but there you are. Yeah. All right, on to final ratings. Final rating. All right, so this is our last chance, uh, our final word on this saga. Uh, we're going to each rate the saga. Andy, I believe you're going first this time. That's right. Um, I think I want to start by uh, reminding us of the critical reception. Uh, I'm going to quote Theodore M. Anderson's assessment of Vatensdal Saga. Um, because I, I think it captures nicely the general sentiment mm-hmm. that scholars seem to have for the saga. It highlights the apparent weaknesses uh, quite nicely. He says, The narrative suffers from a facile opposition of generalized virtue and generalized villainy. Since the saga is also about governance, this opposition may also seem politically naive and too inclined to credit an unchallenged leader. Now, I think this mm-hmm. is somewhat of an oversimplification that might miss the huh. point of the saga, though I do understand what he's saying. Certainly one might criticize the saga for the rather black and white characterizations. Ingeman the Old, for example, stands out as the unachievable ideal. Um, Would that be my thingman, Ingeman? Yeah, that's right. Okay. The unachievable ideal. Just want to be clear. Uh, but with each successive generation, things do get more complicated. Mm-hmm. Uh, the descendants of Ingeman strive to maintain order in what turns out to be a pretty unruly district yeah. full of stock villains. Uh, they've got tough decisions to make and difficult battles to fight. Loyalties get more and more muddled, and each victory is more problematic on a social and political scale. So while I tend to agree with critics that the middle section of the saga is the weakest, um, there's not a lot of character development and there's not much of fully, the, the conflicts aren't fully fleshed out. So it's hard to appreciate what's going on there. But with the arrival of Thorkel Scratcher, my thing, man, mm-hmm. uh, we enter a more morally complex world where each decision has to be considered carefully for the repercussions it might carry, both for the individuals involved and their families, and also for the stability of the region itself. Mm-hmm. It's difficult to read the final section of this saga and see Thorkel as either politically naive or an unchallenged leader, as uh, Theodore M. Anderson seems to suggest. We see him rise up from nothing and prove himself as an ideal leader who understands the old ways of the warrior leaders that was described by Kettle the Large in the very beginning of the of the saga. But he also balances that drive for honor and glory with a highly developed sense of wisdom, uh, evoking characters like Ingemund, uh uh, the old. Now, so I think the saga author is careful to paint Thorkel as a man who embodies all the characteristics of the kind of Gothar that 13th century Iceland so desperately needed. And that's where I think this saga is at its most interesting. I may not enjoy it from cover to cover or, mm-hmm. or chapter to chapter, but I appreciate what the author's trying to accomplish. Um, Vestine Olison suggested that Vatensdal Saga fits into a group of family sagas that represents the interests of the Gothar in the 13th century. Um, I think there's some truth to this. When we look at the saga's leading men, from Kettle the Large to the conspicuously kind and generous Harold Fairhair to Ingemund and his sons, we find a preoccupation throughout with leading men who provide peace and stability through strong, almost absolute rule. This is something that I mentioned in the summary section as quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this context, Ingemund's love affair with Harold Fairhair starts to make sense to me. 
This is an author who seems to promote royalist ideals that run counter to the independent spirit of Commonwealth Iceland. Uh, Theodore M. Anderson uh, notes this himself. He says, The oversimplification of Icelandic political realities in this saga would, in fact, make sense if the saga were written after the capitulation to Norway. Now, I'm not sure that need be the case. I believe the saga authors responding to the political realities of 13th century Iceland, where greedy, ambitious, and immoral men of the Sturlunga age competed for sole rule of their districts and then of Iceland itself. The days of Commonwealth independence were over and the ruling elite had established a firm grip on society. And so this saga author uses the Vatnsdal history opening in an unrealistic and idealized fairy tale world inhabited by folk heroes and giants and miraculously available princesses and then he moves steadily generation by generation into the complex moral realities and political realities confronted by the very human thorkel scratcher a very modern uh, individual hmm. so i think it's a remarkably structured text one that isn't immediately accessible on first or second read it's designed to offer some recommendations on how a good leader a godly or a king might best behave I mean, think about it. We've got Harold's generosity in the beginning, Ingemann's humility and his decisions to spare Hrolif, the ability of the Ingemundersons to pool their strength rather than compete for power. And we've also got Thorkel Scratcher's very carefully considered decisions. I mean, they're all designed as models for right behavior. So when I consider all of this, John, I, I better appreciate the saga <laughs> on its own terms. Uh, I may not always enjoy it, but I get it. The episodes may get repetitive, sure, but... I think we can consider the strength of the saga's beginning and ending, especially, and how the author's agenda fits into a broader historical context. The whole thing's really quite remarkable when considered that way. Um, so while it's... Oh, the other thing that I like about it is it's sufficiently different from other sagas to make it an interesting read on its own terms. Wow. So with all of that in mind, I'm going to give Vatnsdal Saga a 6.5. Wow. That was a, that was a big buildup for a, a little show. It was a, I was expecting a much higher number out of you. You're expecting that. a much higher higher score. Yeah. No, I think you know, in terms of its readability, I have to mark it down mm-hmm. for readability and and entertainment value. That that section in the middle is is quite long and winding, and so I I am docking it points for that. That's interesting. I I, I have to say I agree with a lot of what you're saying. Um, it's it's pretty clear to me this is a, a very confident saga writer. He's setting his text in a world that he knows deeply, and that he expects his readers to know deeply. Right. And mm-hmm. as you were suggesting, I think, uh, for that reason, Vatnsdala is not a saga I'd recommend to someone starting out with this literature. Uh, no, definitely it's, not. It's a story that rewards attention to the details, not just of this saga, but of other sagas as well. Right. It's, it's the mm-hmm. kind of saga, it's, um, uh, it's like a crossover comic book, right? I mean, you, you appreciate it only if you sort of know the background of multiple stories. Uh, yeah, I think that's a great way of putting uh, it. Uh, when I first read this for the podcast, I was so glad to be reading something other than the poet sagas that I kind of fell in love with the saga a little bit. Uh, and mm-hmm. I actually remember it being one of my sort of you know, sentimental favorites in grad school as well. Uh, yeah, me too. Now, but I have to say that my second and third read-throughs as I was preparing for recording were a little less overwhelming. Some of the cracks in the narrative began to show a little, and you talked a little bit about those. Uh, I ended up with two real criticisms of the text. Uh, one is that I'm actually wholly on board with Theodore Anderson's assessment. This is a saga that has a lot of cardboard villains in it, um, and it lacks some of the nuance that I like in my sagas. Um, no, I would agree with that. The good guys are interesting, um, you know, and sometimes well developed, but the, vi- the villains are borderline cartoon- cartoonish. I mean, we, we joked about mm-hmm. Dick Tracy villains at one point, but I think it's legitimately a comparison we can draw here. 
Wait, Thorolf sure. Sledgehammer and his 20 cats. Thorolf Darkskin's Demonic Evil. Yolt's Terror Yoga Witch Death. There's not a lot of nuance there. What we have are villains who present themselves as villains. Um, right. And that's fine. Uh, and the second criticism, and I read the saga a little differently than you do here. Uh, I maintain that the saga begins to fray a bit at the end. Right. The, the middle section may not be the most compelling in terms of character development, but in terms of saga narrative, it's, it's pretty solid, right? It's, it, it's sort of one, two punches, right? You have the setup of a villain and the brothers, uh, going off and defeating that villain. Uh, sure. you have a very straightforward kind of settlement storyline that involves a great deal of place naming and so forth, uh, in Ingemann's generation. Uh, the middle section reads like a normal saga. Thorkel Scratcher's section, to me, uh, having nothing to do with Thorkel's worth, uh, begins to fray a bit. Thorkel becomes kind of a reactor mm-hmm. to events, uh, which seem to go on more or less independent of uh, his influence until someone comes to him and asks him to get involved, at which point he sort of briefly gets involved. Uh, but the story lacks that kind of tight narrative cohesion in the later chapters. Uh, I think he's. Do- I think the author is doing something deliberate in those chapters, and Thorkel Scratcher is a deliberately written character. But I still want a little more narrative cohesion. It's interesting that you would say that because I think the middle section, each of those episodes, mm-hmm. they're they're basically one chapter long. Mm-hmm. They move very very quickly. We don't have a lot of development. Whereas with the Thorkel Scratcher section, we have the development of a single character over many chapters. Um, we see, like you said, he's a more typical saga hero. Um, so I, I appreciate what's going on there a little bit more. There's, a, I feel like there's more narrative cohesion in that section than in the, see, uh, I, the Thorstein. And what Yokel I find section. is that in the Thorstein Yokel section, the Ingemundersons as a collective provide that cohesion. They draw us from section to section, from story to story, in a very, tr- again, a very traditional saga manner, where you have true, but loosely, they're doing the same hang on, thing. where you have okay. loosely related <laughs> stories uh, that are held together because they are the stories of someone's life. Right, that's what gives them their hmm. narrative cohesion. Uh, the life of the Ingemundersons is, as you said, the life of a group of brothers who are struggling to maintain control over an unruly uh, section of Iceland. Uh, whereas uh, Thorkel Scratcher's section seems to me to be a series of loosely related stories that only occasionally have recourse to the main quote-unquote character. Uh, it's... The problem of uh, how do you maintain a story when the main character barely features in that story? Mm-hmm. Uh, Thorkel sort of appears periodically, but the stories aren't about Thorkel. Uh, whereas for me, the middle section I, of the again, saga is the story you. of this family. Uh, I think that's true of the last chapter, but mm-hmm. not true of the rest of the Thorkel section. Well, perhaps. Uh, now, you know, but let's not – I don't want to overstate my position. I still think this is a rocking good time of a, of a saga. And some of the yeah. heroic stuff, I mean, Ingolf's rock armor battle, yeah. uh, Thorstein and Yokel's brotherly bickering, that kind of thing. It's a lot of fun, uh, as well as being skillfully handled. I do think this saga writer is very deliberate in what he's doing and knows what he's doing. Uh, so my rating. Uh, on my first read-through, I've probably have gone with maybe an 8 or even an 8.5. But my later readings tempered that a little bit, uh, trying to tame this saga for a podcast, sort of opened my eyes to some of its flaws. Uh, I'm still a fan though, so I don't want to drop it too much. Uh, I'll say seven and I'll live with the fact that it might be a full point lower or higher if you ask me again tomorrow. 
That's fascinating. You know, I would have scored it even lower than a 6.5 if I hadn't figured out or or begun to create this narrative of how it fits into this historical mm-hmm. context. So the fact that you give it a 7 is is actually quite shocking to me. Especially after hearing you complain about it so much. I'm going to underline once more how glad I am to be done with the Warrior Poet Sockets. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, thanks everyone for listening. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are fa- we are done with uh, Vatensdal Saga. We will move on in our next episode to a quarter court where we will evaluate mm-hmm. um, the first ten sagas that we went through, uh, tallying some of the best bloodsheds and uh, notable witticisms, and letting you guys decide who ultimately should be outlawed of that group and who sh- who got the best group of thingmen. Um, after that, we'll be doing Greta's Saga. So we've got a, a quite a full slate for the summer, it's don't be we? Exciting summer ahead of us. In the meantime, please uh, review us on iTunes. If you don't subscribe to us through whatever uh, podcast catching site that you've got, uh, please make sure you do subscribe so you get our downloads automatically. And you can keep up with us on our various social media sites: Saga Thing Pod on Twitter, Saga Thing Podcast on Facebook, and Saga Thing Podcast at gmail.com if you want to email us. And if you want to honor the many fallen Norwegian companions, go to our <laughs> Spreadshirt site, sagathingpodcast.spreadshirt.com, and pick yourself up a lovely red shirt with Norwegian companion Aww. written on it. Long may they rest in peace. <laughs> uh, as we uh, ended last time, I'll just say our, our tagline, keep on reading. Is that is that your tagline now? No, just this one. <laughs> it, it's, it's so embarrassingly awful. Oh, God. Slink off your tail between your legs. Bye for now, everyone. We're we're half-assing it. You're going to cut off his buttocks. (laughs)